0: Hello, and welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast, the podcast for current and former service members who've got gas, who've got give a shit. If you don't, this probably isn't for you. I'm your host, Brock Briggs, and today I'm speaking with Tim Kirkpatrick. Tim is the co-founder of Condition One Media, as well as the writer and director of the TV show, Figure It Out, which follows a recently discharged Marines re-entry into civilian life. Tim's a former Navy corpsman who did a tour with the Marines, this is important because during his time in Afghanistan, he actually recorded a video of Marines dancing. We see a lot of TikToks of Marines dancing overseas today, but that was far less common at the time. And it was actually this video that got him into New York Film School on his application. We talk about how the military's influenced Tim's approach to film. The thing we all have in common is that we've served and that it's okay for that to come out in the work that you do day to day. In fact, it should. Tim also shares some of the fundamentals of filmmaking, the economics of the business, and what the future holds for the TV series. One of the things I noticed while talking with Tim for the first time is the passion that he has for his work. You'll hear it in his voice throughout this conversation that he's working on the thing that he's been called to do. It's unbelievably aspirational and what we really all should be striving for. Tim's got the gas that I'm talking about. I highly recommend checking out the pilot episode of Figure It Out. It's a fun, comedic take on getting out of the service that flies in the face of the conventional talk around service members getting out, and anybody could identify with it. You can find it on conditiononemedia.com. It's not free, it's $2.99, but at half the cost of a cup of coffee. For a 30-minute highly produced TV episode that goes towards a great cause, I think it's well, well worth it. I extremely enjoyed it and have recommended it to several friends already. You'll hear in the conversation, Tim talks about the cost that went into producing this. And obviously, the more people that see this film and the more eyes that get on it, the better for them in the long run. Tim wants to go on to produce an entire series, and the success of this pilot will contribute to that. You can find the link for the pilot in the show notes of this episode. Other than that, you know the drill. If you get something from this episode or enjoy it, send it to somebody. That means a lot to me and goes a really long way. Please enjoy this conversation with Tim Kirkpatrick. We're going to talk about, figure it out here in just a little bit, but I want to kind of like get back to where your interest in film starts. You went to film school after you got out of the Navy, but I'm guessing it probably started a little bit earlier than that if you were willing to go to school for something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So actually um, I was, I'm the youngest of the five kids. So I got like zero attention, as you can imagine, because the littlest kid has no responsibility. No one. I mean, it just looked over. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was such an age gap between myself and my oldest brother, who um, is a 10 year gap. So I was always babysitted by the TV. And I was always watching TV and movies just to keep myself quiet. You know, And my parents um, just had other things going on. So I actually I feel like the movie, The Cable Guy, the Jim Carrey movie, where he just related to all the characters and the movies that he was in and memorized the lines. I quote movies all the time in conversations. And that's kind of extends from the fact that I was always watching movies and TV. Um, So I kind of started film school when I was like three or four or five years old, you know, Uh, Mm the Ninja Turtles, all the way up to X-Men, all that stuff, you know, growing up. So whenever I watched like a show where the underdog would win, I would always like, I'm the underdog. You know, I'm the guy who um, always had a flaw in him or, didn't get the hottest girl in, in high school or you know something was always going on with him that he didn't win until the very, very end. And that's kind of like how my path on life has been. Um, but growing up in Kansas, there's no film industry. You either work in the medical field or you work in the aviation with Boeing or Spirit or Learjet, Cessna. Um, so I went medical. Uh, my dad um, is actually a former corpsman who was in Vietnam in desert storm. So I followed his pathway, you know, I started working medical, um, in the hospitals, cleaning instruments. I thought that growing up where I grew up, that was it, right. There was no other pathways. Um, Mm -hmm. and then my brother, my oldest brother, who's a Marine, he was a recruiter for the Marine Corps at the time. So he goes, I wasn't doing anything special. I was like in my early twenties. He goes, why don't you join the Marine Corps? And I'm like, okay, you know, sure. What do you want to do? I'm like, well, I like film and TV. What about doing that? He goes, well, why don't you do combat camera? So I'm like, that's a, okay, great. No problem. So um, I, I didn't have, uh, I, I dropped out of high school twice or actually three times actually in sophomore year. Uh, so I did my sophomore year three times. Um, it's just the area I grew up in, it was cooler if you gyp school and did right. nothing. That, that was a cool thing to do. So my dad's like, well, why don't you join the Navy and become a corpsman? Um, I'm like, hmm, okay. So I went, to, I went to the Navy office. They were closed that day. So the army almost got me um, as a combat camera guy. They were going, oh, we'll guarantee you this, but you may have to do 18 months in the infantry first. And at the time, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty naive. right? I'm in my mid-20s, early 20s, early 20, like 23, 24. Um, <clears throat> but I was just kind of th- looking for any reason to leave, to get out of my, uh, my, my hometown. So I almost did it. I almost signed up for the army um, until... Literally, I went back a couple of weeks later to check in with that recruiter and the Navy office was open. So instead of, so basically the Navy, I, I poached the Navy versus the Army poaching me. Nothing gets the Army though. And I walked in and I told him, hey, um, what about me signing up to become a, a corpsman and go with the Marines? And they asked me, what's your zip code? And I told my zip code and then there was another recruiter I had to go to because they broke up my zip code. Um, and about three weeks later, I was on my way to MEPS in Kansas City, Missouri, to go swear in did you have the chance to exercise
0: like any of that creativity or like interest in like home films or kind of that
1: that muscle early on at all no not at all we my my uh I lived in a family we had we had uh, four brothers and one sister my mom was a housewife she used to be a nun as well which is a whole other story um but my dad was the only my dad was working three jobs when we were kids um, so he was, uh, he was a combat or he was a, a trauma nurse, um, uh, at the hospital for like 40 years. Um, so he had two jobs, one at an uh, outpatient center and, and then his trauma job, but he was also still in the Navy as a reservist. So he was never really around, but he had a spent on time because we didn't really have the resources. Like I got all hand-me-downs. So I didn't, I would always see like my friends having like these little these cameras at the time that you had to put on your shoulder um and like just be fascinated by that but I would never get to touch them, or you know it's because they were just too expensive at the time so and I and I was one of those guys who broke like literally everything that was given to him so I didn't really get to touch a whole lot of stuff I broke everything
0: was your first experience like getting to start putting together films then like in film school
1: no. Um, I actually have a video on YouTube. Um, I have a dance video um, that we, if you go to YouTube and you type in uh, Marines dancing in Afghanistan, I'm on the thumbnail. That's actually my very first video that I directed and edited while I was at my patrol base in Afghanistan. And that's actually the video that I got in the film school.
0: So I had an oh, audition
1: really? to go to film school. And I'm like, I don't have anything. And I realized, like, I have this. What does this do? And that actually got me into film school was that dance video. And long story short, we lost one of our bros. And everyone was just, like, super depressed. I shot it there um, and then edited it there. And then when I got to – we didn't have electricity. So um, I had to power my laptop up um, with a solar panel. Um, when it wasn't being used by that, the other Marines charging up their, uh, you know, their MP3 devices at the time. So edit, you know, it took me a couple of weeks. And then when I got back to Camp Loveneck on the way home, I thought I was going to be a celebrity when I put it on YouTube of what we did. Um, so I threw it up on there. And then um, when I was working at SOI um, in Camp Pendleton, after I got um, transferred at 3.5, um, I was like, I get an email from New York Film and they're like, hey, we need this information and some videos that you've done. So I'm like, oh, crap. So I sent them the dance video. And about three or four days later, I got my acceptance letter and everything like that. I'm like, it worked? Nice. I I didn't, you know, I didn't think anything too much of that video. But um, they said, oh, this is something we haven't seen before from that perspective. Because um, back then you really couldn't do video on your phone this is in like uh in like uh two like early 2010 seven full-time we didn't really have video um on your phone as we do now um mm-hmm. so it was it, i look at the Cutney film like they had to do back in the day uh when people go to film school it's still digital um but yeah that's what got me to film school was a dance video who would have thought of marines dancing afghanistan yeah that's literally
0: so crazy well i, I know mean- it's even more so now you think about like, there are famous TikTokers that like mm-hmm. post videos and stuff of them in Afghanistan. And that's like, I don't know, like the, the distribution has changed so much. When I talked to Mark last week, we talked a lot about how media has changed in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And it's yeah, like it that the distance to reaching more people has just like collapsed tremendously
1: you don't have to have any connections anymore to create film or distribute film anymore it used to have to be where you would go and pitch and oh yeah pitch a network or pitch a production company during pilot season there's none of that anymore i mean people still do it obviously but you can post your own content and sell it um but i mean it's there's a lot there's several steps along the way you have to learn and figure out how to do it um but really Streaming services are taking over how we consume content, which is great for guys like me who all we want to do is produce content um, and let people see it and have people connect to it. That's literally all of our mission is to do is, is to have people see what we're doing.
0: People should want to be doing the thing that they can't stop thinking about. And so it's cool to hear like another person that's kind of like, hey, I get to wake up and do the thing that I, I love every day. Um, and I think that that's should be what we're all searching for, really. Uh, like, talking about you working your way through film school, like, obviously, the marine dancing video is what got you in. Do you think that, like, your time in service influenced in, like, any major way, like, the eye that you bring to film today? And kind of like that, your inspiration, I guess, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's basically part of my, that's basically my branding. Um, like I, the, the projects that I'm working on, the projects that I've done, they're all basically military based. They may not be in your face military, but the characters in one way or another are connected to that aspect. So it's because that's the world that I know. Like I have other projects that we're working on. Um, and they're all true stories that, that I do. I don't do any uh, fictional, uh, we may, we may bend reality a little bit, but um, the stories that I tell, they're based, on a true story. Um, so that's just who I am. Um, like I have, to, I have to know the characters before, and I have to know the story before I could write it. Some people will just start writing a story and find the characters in the story on the page, not me. I can all have the jokes on the page, but I have to know how to get from A to B before I start writing it. Um, but military is my branding. Um, it's just who I am. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, and when you're in that atmosphere, as you know, you're never, you're never really not military. Even when you leave, it's always a part of you. I don't care if you did three months, six months, I don't care about any, you know, that's a part of who you are. Um, and then you can either embrace it or you can use it as an excuse to do nothing. I embrace it.
0: I think it's very easy to be afraid of like becoming that guy when you get out. That was kind of what my issue was. Like, I was like, I don't want to get out and be that guy and just um, kind of tried to downplay it a little bit. And that's kind of ultimately what led to starting this podcast was like, Oh, I need to actually lean into this because this is something that like actually is a part of who I am. And like, I, I need to stop like trying to pretend
1: that it's not. Right. I mean, I, there's, because of my background, I mean, there's, uh, and, and I don't, there's, there's more, there's some criminal things I can write about. Um, but again, I'm not trying to ever um, depress the audience. I'm only, I'm only going to try to satisfy them in a way but I don't want to like completely satisfy them because I want to have a cliffhanger, you know, obviously that they want to tune into the next time. But um, when you start, when you understand how to tell a story, you can basically um, start critiquing and, and, and molding um, those characters based on the story. Cause you have to find that conflict within the story and that within that character or people don't really relate to the story you're trying to tell, and that's actually a very hard lesson to learn. But luckily, as you get, as we start aging, we start learning. If you want to learn it, um, learning how that your story can help somebody else. I can't even imagine the time
0: and work that it takes to kind of put together a script for a TV show or, or movie or otherwise, where you're you're trying to drag the audience through this journey and get them to feel certain things. I would love to hear what your process is and how you think about putting a story like that together
1: and identifying these key points to get your audience through. That is an amazing question. I I've watched so many TV show pilots um, to find out what that, what that little thread was not the whole sheet, but that little thread of why people give a shit about, this character. To get the audience to do that journey, you have to find a way to get them to connect to that character or give them that hardship right off the bat because everyone has gone through hardships. Everyone. I don't care if you have multi-millions in your bank account or whatever. Everyone's had hardships, right? So I had to find a way to create loss to help people connect to the main character. So the show is about transition. So every character has to, we have to start playing seeds in every character and show the audience how they may be transitioning in the next episode, episode. It's interesting how you stand back and look at every
0: single movie or story that you consume and they all kind of follow the same formula. some Absolutely. sort of like version of hero's journey where, yep. you know, there's the call to adventure and some type of problem. And you're looking for characteristics that kind of align with the audience and say, Oh, I've,
1: I understand what that might be like. Absolutely. And that's, that's really what grabs you in to like, um, I watched, um, man, I, I, would, I would watch Silicon Valley, um, Mike Judge's stuff. Um, I would watch um, just any comedy that I could, uh, Jane the Virgin had an influence on it. Um, just all of these shows I watched, like you just said, there's these, you have to look very closely, but they're all kind of flowing the same exact way. I mean, there's a bunch of screenwriting uh, books out there to read. Um, and then the sequence is what happens within each sequence, you know, for a feature and, you know, your three act or your five act, depending on what you're going for, for TV or your eight sequences for, um, for uh, your feature films. But rarely does someone go off that rail for those stories, screenwriting roles. I watched countless TV pilots to see why is it so successful? Why is it so relatable? Um, but a lot of them, they would, they would use the location of each scene as part of the character, which is something I really didn't recognize until I would see it as a trend. Um, so even in my episode, the the location is a character. Um, there's goals within those locations. Um, there's obstacles in those locations. Can you give us the pitch for Figure It Out? Uh,
0: where the idea came from. I know that you've cited that a lot of the stuff is uh, things that you've particularly experienced, but give us the pitch for the pilot and uh, we'll be sure to include the link in the show notes. so People can watch it for themselves. So the, actually
1: the pitch was um, pretty easy um, at the time when I was started pitching it. So I was like, Hey, we follow a, a young cocky Marine who gets out of the military early. Um, she doesn't know what she wants in life. Like most people, and she's just trying to navigate her life and do different transitions to life. And that was literally the pitch. And I've kind of learned through pinching, kind of a, sometimes the less details you give, the more the person on the other side of the table starts to bring in their ideas to build upon that. So I actually learned that when I was deployed, um, whenever uh, we would have a, a, an interpreter would come in on deck to interview one of the Taliban, the bad guys, and the, uh, the contractor who would interrogate the Taliban guy would give him a little bit of information. And just the way they would do it, he would start filling in the blanks a little bit. So as I learned that, I'm like, you know what, let me give them just the baseline and then start with some character. Um, you know, you have your, your, your fun-loving older brother, you have the guy, the womanizer, Um, and then you have the hippie who doesn't disrespect anybody. And as I was just doing that, the other side of the table would start filling in blanks. Well, what if we had it like this? Absolutely, yeah, we can can definitely do that. But when I would pitch the idea, that would only last for maybe 30 seconds to a minute, and then the, the dreaded question would come up, well, how do I get my money back? That was the toughest in the beginning, especially in a pandemic, People were very nervous about anything. The pitch was so simplistic because TV in my, from my learning and the guys I've worked with at We Are The Mighty and other places, um, when I would hear their pitches from people coming in, they would get way too detailed on it. And the more that you spoke on it, the more um, the, the disconnected that the, the producer would become because they don't really like the character or whatever. Well, I kind of reverse engineered it and said less And I got more feedback on saying less.
0: You pitch storytelling and film production in this way that's kind of bubbling out of the ground and like you need to kind of be ready to accept and take what's there without kind of suppressing anything. When is the time to be strict with what you're going after? Say you have an idea and you feel really strongly about it. How do you differentiate when to when to
1: really focus and when to be flexible? That's a great question. Um, so if if a producer comes on um, and they have an idea, if it affects the story to something that's not inspirational just because it's cool or it's gonna look cinematic or whatever, the story is what drags people in to get emotionally invested. They have to be able to relate to the character and find them interesting. You don't have to have a bunch of resources to create good content. So when ideas get tossed out, they may be too big for the story and that we don't need that. Um, so if it affects the character and slides them off in a different path, then really the, the main rebuttal or main objection to that, I'm like, well, it won't work for the story because of this. I know the story so well I mean, I spent three years writing it um, and then producing and editing it, all that stuff. I know the story very well. So every, every line of dialogue that's in the show, I can tell you why it's there for what reason. Everything's there for a reason. A lot of times, as you probably know, people with resources want their voices heard. So they want to be heard and I'll listen, cool. Some, sometimes the partnership doesn't work out, which is okay, it happens all the time but it's to cater to the story, not the producer. It's something that I won't bend on. And sometimes it doesn't, just doesn't work out. But if, if we can find a way to organically add in those ideas, as long as the audience doesn't question would they really do that, then that's when you know if you have a winner or not. Um, like if you can predict what's about to happen, that's a failure. If you cannot predict what's going to happen, and you can, you don't second guess the motive from the action to the reaction, then you have a winner. But if you can predict that, and that's kind of how I write my my uh, each each scene. When you're introduced to a scene, the scene cannot end on the same emotional beat as it begins. If it starts out super happy, it cannot end super happy. You know, it just has that, and there has to be a turn within it. So there's a structure to every part of the scene. There's a turn, there's a twist, everything. Um, but once you start learning the character, like I wrote, I wrote letters um, when I was in uh, in development. I would in film school um, when we developed characters, we would write letters and journals in that character's perspective to somebody. And hey, mom, this is so and so, yada yada yada. Would they say that? So you really start learning who the character is before you actually write the script. Uh so it's but in, in in the case of some of the characters in, in, in the show, they were split like uh uh TikTok, who is the female character played by Nally that is a great actress. Um originally that was supposed to be a guy playing that role. And we named that guy Playboy, because everyone has, as you know, uh we have nicknames in the military. Everyone in my unit had a nickname, so that's where I got that from. plus, I'm a huge Tarantino fan and reservoir dogs and all this, so people have nicknames in that. Um, so originally it was supposed to be Playboy, but who cares if a guy gets kicked out and goes homeless for a night? But if it's a female who does it, you're gonna feel a little worse for her and want her to win eventually. But does she win is the question. Um, so it kind of extends to if the if the idea that the quote unquote producer, whoever has resources, comes in with it. Typically, if you can discuss with them why it's not a good idea. But you hear them out; they feel satisfied, and like, oh, you, you, you know, you know us pretty well. I'm like, well, absolutely, this is this is, this is my
0: thing hearing you talk about like having too much going on in a show I recently am re-watching Seinfeld from the beginning and uh they're going through the part where they like pitch the show about nothing, nothing and they're like do the whole script and everything and I'm it's just kind of reminding me like how much you how little you need to kind of like put something together and it can be kind of drowned very quickly.
1: Well, TV is is comp- the uh, the structure to a TV show is completely different than a feature film. Even if you're if even you have the resources to do, to do a trilogy, which unfortunately happens all the time, which I can't stand. But TV has nothing to do with really the plot. Like um, when the runner on the show. Uh, so there's 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 eight there's A plot, B plot, C plot, and runner um, for structure of a TV show. Typically, the pilot episodes don't go off of that because you're just introducing the world to the audience and then the way in to the audience. Like when we hit episode two soon, um, we start writing all that stuff out, we're going to start developing the other characters more because we have our way in already to the show. Um, But it's funny because you don't really need to have a strong plot. You have to have have a strong Story, but not a strong plot, which is which is different. People get that confused with this between story and plot. The story is about people transitioning in life. That's the story. The plot is how they do it. That going through the narrative. Seinfeld is a great example of that because there is it's a show about nothing, but it actually is a show about something. They're all navigating through life in New York. It's almost like France. There's there's a certain aspect to it. It just takes forever to get there because they have so much time to develop the characters over those seasons versus a feature film when you have 90 to 120 minutes to go and one person can character arc if you're lucky, some writers don't even do that. But in TV, typically you want all your main characters to character arc um, within that season and in the series arc um, as well. But we were just, we were just over here um, a couple of weeks ago um, and we, were, have, we have a board up. Um, we actually have all the postcards over there um, of the whole seasons mapped out now um, of what each character does for the episodes. Um, we actually wrote the ending of the season before we started working on two, three, four, uh, all the way up to the final episode of the season because it cannot end the way it started, obviously. There has to be an arc. So we know that arc already. Now we have to map how to get to that arc, um, which is literally the funnest thing in the world. So it's quite exciting to get people on board Left and right, um, once they watch it, because um, we get emails all the time from people who critique the show um, and send us their their ideas. Um, and of course, we get scare tactics as well. People from, you know, veterans will reach out who don't like it, but they could like it if we did this. You know, I'm like, hey, thanks for your feedback. I I appreciate it. Um, Go make your and- own show. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's actually what you just brought up is excellent because most people will never do what we're doing. And it's not because they can't, it's because they don't think that they can. And they absolutely can. It takes a lot of time, but you can absolutely do what we're doing. It just takes a lot of time to map out how you want to do it. It's, you know, it's that trifecta, it's good, cheap and time, right? Do you want it fast? Do you want it right now? How much money do you have to do all that stuff? Um, but people will reach out. And then, of course, they, we'll, we'll get ghost stories and we'll get like dream stories emailed to us. Um, hey, if I come on board, I can get you this X, Y, and Z. We're good, but thank you so much for watching. You know, Thanks for the feedback. Um, but a lot of people, will, they'll give us scare tactics to come on board. And I'm like, we're really not interested. But we don't say that. Um, but every so often is a good idea that we get emailed over, um, but we will never use it because we're not going to pay them for that idea. We will never use an idea from someone that um, we're not paying. It's just not going to happen.
0: There's certainly no shortage of people looking to throw rocks at people for doing their own thing because they can't. Um, It's kind of a bummer and part of, Uh, something that I've talked about quite extensively on this show before in the past is how being in the military kind of feels like you have a weight on you creatively and you don't, it's hard to do like start a business and do things like this. Um, I'm not sure what that is or why it is, but it's tough.
1: Well, I I think a lot of it's jealousy to be honest with you. Um, Like, whenever I see someone doing something great, of course, I'm not a hater. Hey, that's awesome, bro. That's like, or man, that's, that's great that you're doing that. And in my mind, I'm like, damn it. Why didn't I think of that? You know, a little bit of that aspect comes into play. Um, But if, if when people reach out um, we're not like saying no to anybody um, but it's just the way they reach out. Um, I don't know if it's just their desperation um i don't know i don't even know i don't to be honest i don't i can't really pinpoint what it is but some people are very gracious on the emails and others are just like oh man i i what you did with this character is so off um okay well thanks for your feedback um i i I appreciate it and then they'll end with like um well i can share this with my friends you know who are in the industry and like hey thanks for your support please by all being share um but we are, and it's just one of the things. that we never expected any of that to happen. To be honest with you, we're just three friends who want to make content. Um, and we're the show doesn't need a big budget. It's it's just a simple, simple uh, story. I mean, we're never gonna blow up the the, the White House like Independence Day or do any of that stuff. That's not what the show is about. It's it's like a um, you know, it's like curb your enthusiasm type of type of thing. You know what I'm saying? It can be done virtually anywhere. Um, can be filmed anywhere on really anything, but it's just amazing to me on the incredible feedback we get. And then those two or three percent people who just because they don't they don't relate to it because that's not the experience that they had in the military. Mm-hmm. They had it like it like we were saying in the in the pre when we were t- chatting, um, I had it pretty tough. And it's not because it's something that I did, it's just the situation that I was put in. Uh, being in Afghanistan, seeing certain things, being a part of certain things. Like, um, I I know for a fact um, that some people aren't treated the way they should be treated, and some people are treated much much better because of the rank that's on their collar or their sleeve. So they have a different experience in it. The, the producers, we were all we were all uh, um, all enlisted. We were all infantry guys. So we got the best experience you can possibly imagine for our future, not for the experience during the moment, but when you take a step back and you see, oh, I did this, holy crap. Like I was in the battle of Sangin in 2010, 2011, right? At the time, you're like, crap, man, this sucks. Like this absolutely sucks, right? Bombs are going off, IEDs are everywhere. You're getting shot at by snipers left and right. This sucks. But now that I look back on that, I, I'm so privileged and honored to do what I did when I was deployed. And now I'm taking those experiences and I'm using them as a narrative to, for my cathartic measure, right? Cause that's what it's really about. It's my transition out. Cause when I got out of the military in 2012 and I went to film school, my biggest mistake was I would try to correct people that I had no business in correcting. Like me and my wife would be out to dinner or we would go out to the mall or like that and I would see someone or I would be in film school and I would see another student messing up or doing something I would try to correct them just because that's what I would do when I was uh, in charge of sickle or I was the the supervisor in the military. Um, That was part of my transition, which I had no right to do certain things, but I did them anyway. So it took a long time for me to realize, like, hey, man, I'm a civilian again. Um, I don't have any reason to tell this person what to do anymore. Um, And that's part of of some of the things that we're going to look at down the line in the season. Um, But everything that takes place in the episode actually happened. You've talked a
0: couple of times about the difficulty of resource constraints on putting a film together of sorts. Can you maybe walk through what the economics of putting something together like this is? Uh, what are the costs you might encounter? Um, and maybe if you can provide numbers for figure it out that that might give some interesting context. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So when, when, when I was in development, um, I knew that, um, it was, we were in the mid uh, and we're still in the pandemic. Pandemic not going to go anywhere. Um, but we were in this part where we heard those constantly, constantly. So we were even pitching um, different companies to have hype their logo in the show. You know, And um, I mean, the, the permits alone, we, we shot in four and a half days and the permits alone cost a thousand bucks. So when you start, to, when you take a look at these little nickels and dimes, of all these costs to add up, right? Um, as a producer, and this is why I lived in film school when I was producing my short films. You may think it may cost one thing, but you better double it because every vendor out there, um, in the very, very beginning, they're going to give you the lowest number to you know throw that piece of cheese at you. Um, so like, just the permits alone was, was 800 bucks. Um, and then the insurance, Uh, to go on there was like 6,500 for workman's comp and then, um, all these aggregate and sub waivers and all this stuff that got thrown out. The insurance came out to about like, like 7,200 bucks just for the insurance for a 12 day short-term shoot. Um, so we, we ended up, uh, just the, uh, just the four and a half days alone was over 60 grand just to do that. Um, the actors were the ones who got paid the least because they actually benefit the most from all of this. Um, but nobody, and I don't expect them to do this. I mean, no one hooked us up for any, any, the, the crew. No one hooked us up, but like, hey, I'll give you half time. None of that stuff. It was full price for everyone. Um, but what they, what everyone would do, and I knew this was going to happen when they would send over, you know, their quote sheets for their cost, it was always the lowest number possible that they could generate. And then they would tack on their kit fees and all this other stuff and just start building up. But I knew it was going to happen. Um, luckily, we didn't go over budget. But um, I mean, it, even when we, when we, uh, when we uh, screened at Warner Brothers, um, there was always these hidden costs that of course no one was ever told to us because the, the, the screen at Warner Brothers was brand new to us. The filming aspect was not. I did this in film school, commercials, music videos. That's the easy part, right? Um, but just to screen at Warner Brothers for the premiere, um, there were so many hidden costs um, that we didn't know until we got the quote sheet uh, about a week before we actually um, signed it and, and, and had the um, had it. I mean, we, we don't have staff um, at Condition One. We're all, we, we don't have that, but... The, the insurance to just to, to screen there and you know just things of that nature it was just things that we didn't expect to happen but ultimately it was a great learning um, i mean i learn this stuff every single day there's there's no learning that stops ever um but like we it cost uh it was fourteen thousand to screen at warner brothers um for the premiere and that, and we got hooked. That was a hookup price because we were only there for two and a half hours. And it was a four hour block um, that we blocked it off for. But if we, we paid for the trash, the trash uh, liners, was it was a fee? Ice, ice was a fee. Oh, man. They're really so you are, for everything. There's and we don't know that information until the quote sheet comes up after we like okay because we were looking at DGA or the DGA theater. We were looking at other theaters to, to screen at. Um, ultimately, we we decided on Warner Brothers also because the nostalgia of it, right? And the people who showed up to Warner Brothers wasn't going to be the same type of people that are going to show up to like AMC if we if we or Regal Cinemas if we that we screen there, right? It was going to be people wouldn't have come to a theater that they can go to on a weekend with their husbands or girlfriends or whatever you want to call it. But going to Warner Brothers provides a different demographic um, to getting people to show up. Um, but ultimately, um, we had a packed house during the screening. Um, we blocked off a couple of rows in the very front to give some space um, just because of COVID purposes. Um, but ultimately, um, that was probably the, the biggest curveball because I've never produced a screening before um, on my own. Um, And so that was, but after a while, my my partners they started learning the business aspect to it. So now um, I'm backed up off the business aspect of it. Now I'm back on creative, and they're doing all the business side of it now. And that's one of the things I'm very excited about because the whole goal of what we're trying to do is we're we're trying to bring on the right people, put them in the right spots for building a team up, right? Because a season is very very expensive. most production companies, when they when they have a TV show out, they have a pilot out. You'll never see it, right? You'll never see it. But mm-hmm. we decided let's get, let's have people see it. Screw it, because we're selling the show, but we're also selling the episode of the first of the first of the pilot, which no one really does that. So mm-hmm. that's why we're also getting we're also every day the business model is changing because of all the sales that we're getting on Amazon and on the website for the first episode, but. Um, most of the feedback is, hey, does episode two come out? I'm like, hey, we're working on it. It's, we didn't expect any of this. So That's we weren't really prepared for any of this to actually happen, um, which is a blessing in disguise. But we're super, super excited. But this is the biggest thing I've ever been a part of. Biggest thing. That's got to be such a good feeling.
0: And like I said earlier about like so exciting to be getting the positive feedback and reaffirmation while you're working on something that you really love. That's
1: cool. We we've actually had a couple of actors, big actors, reach out via their managers and agents um, who reached out to us. Um which we actually, for the most part, we have connections to their managers and agents already. We just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, over a year, you know, you start your social media up, right? people request you as a friend or they follow you and you don't know what they do. You know, there's just a friend of a friend of a friend who think you're doing some cool shit. And then because of social media and military.com, when they posted that stuff, all of a sudden, now we're getting more introductions to people. And we've had a couple of emails from these actors, managers who, Hey, we we saw your show. This is pretty cool. Um, Of course, they won't reach out and waste their time unless they're interested in, in one way or another. Um, again, this was just supposed to be a web series that we were doing because we were bored. Like <clears throat> we were going to film all, or we we're going to record all the sound on a hockey stick and a zoom. And that was supposed to play when the roles just to make it cheaper. But then when the resources started coming in, we're like, dude, I cannot play this role anymore. I'm not good enough. I'm not. Good. So that's the reason why we had to start doing the auditions, which we are the mighty, um, hooked us this up big time. Um, using their office in L.A. to do the, to do the auditions. Saw um, uh, some Mark Harper and Augie and uh, um, all those guys over there just opened their doors up for me. And like, um, cause I used to work for them. I was an intern for them while I was in film school. Um, and they actually hired me on full time. The week I graduated film school, I actually couldn't even go to my graduation cause I was working, which is a great problem to have. I wasn't yeah. gonna go to my graduation anyway, cause I didn't wanna mess up the hair that I had at the time. I'm kind of, I'm kind of receding now. Um, but yeah, they, they, they helped out big time and, um, just the audition process was so much fun to do. And can
0: you maybe give us a ballpark
1: about like what it costs to put together a pilot
0: like this, uh, like all in costs, you don't have to give specific numbers, but give me a a ballpark and then maybe contrast that with the economics of like what you make when you go to sell Uh, like either online or going with a streaming provider like amazon or netflix
1: so um the cost to do everything for the show and it's it's still it's still growing um because of the marketing that we're doing behind it um we're over 60 grand which is nothing for a tv pilot which is absolutely nickels and pennies compared to like your your real tv shows that are out there they're on like you know on NBC and CBS, right? It's just, but when it comes to um, Amazon, so as you know, on on the website, you can buy the episode for two ninety nine, which is super cheap, um, and w- we get good conversions that way. Um, on Amazon, it's a higher conversion rate on Amazon because you don't have to whip out your credit card; it's right there. You just hit buy, yada yada yada. But Amazon takes a huge cut of everything. But we're not out, we're not really out there. To make money off of the off of the episode. We're out there to show people um, that we can tell a story um, to bring on partnerships and sponsorships and stuff like that to showcase what we can do. Now, Amazon, their analytics on their dashboard, they don't update until 30 days after the month is posted. So I don't and and the show went live on Amazon in August. So we won't know August, because it went like mid-August. Um, Because it's it took it was a three week process from getting approved um, as a licensee on Amazon. Um, so it, it took it took a little bit. It was an interview process. There was a, a tax audit um, to making sure that we were a legit company. A whole bunch of stuff, and then when you submit your packaging, it may not get approved for licensing. Luckily, it did. I knew it would. I did my research, um, but they take forty percent of all your revenue. Um, from there. So we're not even remotely close to making back what we've produced, but that's not where we're after. We're, I don't care about making a single dime off this. I want to produce more episodes. So, but we won't know those true values until um, probably in, in a, probably about a week or so, we'll know what August's numbers are. Because um, you can go on there now and it says it's an estimate. And it shows you the amount of number of, of time streamed and sales on it, but it says it's estimate. Um, so, and as I refresh the screen every day, even August's numbers are going up, even though it says one number. When I refresh a couple of days later, the numbers go up because they don't, they don't update as, as often as you would like them to, because when you start seeing your numbers increase. It really motivates you, right? Such an optimistic, uh, you know, like, wow, this is doing great. Um, we're, we're doing very well. Um, but we still have a long ways to go if we want to produce this thing independently, just from those sales, because it's uh, Amazon does not sponsor um, the show at all. So it's up to us to create the market. So part of the business model um, is to sell the show, and then get like a um, you know a, a reverse equity on it to keep continuing working on it and using other assets. Because I was always told. In film school, never use your own money. Um, well, during a pan- well, that was pre-pandemic though. Um, but since I had the ability to to reach out to people with these resources, of course, since I haven't sold any projects before, that halted um, a lot of the resources that I could have gotten because I don't have a track record of it just yet. And I'll get there. I'll get there. It's not, I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. Um, But the fact that I have a distribution platform set up really increases the value um, and it makes, it it legitimizes what we're doing because uh, Amazon did not have to uh, license the show, but they did. Mm -hmm. But which was a tedious process.
0: I think one of the hardest things about pursuing what you love and like chasing after your dream is like, really not knowing when it's right to maybe pivot or go a different direction. And so you're constantly looking for these steps of validation. Yeah. You, you know, you're like seeing sales come in, there's a certain amount of validation that comes with that. Maybe earlier on in your journey, were there points that you saw where you're like, Oh, this is a good sign to keep pressing forward.
1: Absolutely. So, um, I had some really strong instructors in film school because when I was doing my MFA in screenwriting at New York Film, um, I I I I kind of created a bond with some of my instructors out. Um, and I got one of my instructors actually introduced me to his brother, who's a huge TV director. Um, and I sent him the script, and he, uh, of course, they're they're trying to hold on to your feelings a little bit. You know, they have their feeling, your feelings in mind when you write something, and they're like, hey. But these guys don't do that. Um, hey, this was funny, but this has to get corrected. This is not, you know, yada, yada, yada. So that, that, that constructive criticism. Now, when you see them adding the amount of notes to your script, they could just say, no, I don't like this, change this. But when they're adding their ideas to it, they, you know you have something because they become emotionally invested in your script. Because they have other shit to do. These guys are DGA and WGA and PGA. You know, they're they're union um, uh, filmmakers. But when they take time out of their schedule and they're adding notes to your scripts, you're like, oh, wait, you know what? They actually care enough to take their time out to do this. Maybe I do have something there. So that was kind of the boost I needed a little bit. Um, Because again, it was just supposed to be a web series for like, we're supposed to film the whole thing like 500 bucks easy day in and out. Nobody gets hurt. Um, I was looking at new iPhones to shoot it on, um, all that stuff, but we have doing two, two cameras cause the budget came in for that. But that validation started coming in when those first, I mean, I was probably like on the 20th round of edits on the script cause we were going to shoot it more vlog style, like on the camera with the main characters holding her phone up and talking. Um, but that was too generic. So I started changing it up. But once I started getting those first couple rounds of feedback back, they weren't talking about story. They were talking about plot. So I was like, oh, so the story works for these guys, because no one said that. This, the feedback was never about, oh, your story doesn't make any sense. And that's the green light in my brain. Oh, shit. OK, the story makes sense to them, but it's just a plot I Need to work on some stuff some beats and moving it around. Um, but the biggest, the biggest thing I did was for four months I put the script away. I locked it up. I, I didn't even it, w- it was on my computer, of course, but I never opened it back up. A couple months later, I opened it up and I'm seeing all the flaws in it because I'm now I become object- objective to my own story. Boom, worked it out, locked it back up, come back. So it was it was almost a two year process before we even started doing auditions um, for it. So it was. And then when, when the actors, everyone showed up. All the actors showed up and they got their sides, which, of course, we, we pulled the best scenes um, that we could. We, at least we thought that they were the best scenes for the actors to come in to read. We had zero no-shows. So you're like, huh, that's interesting. And we're, we, have these, we have union actresses and actors coming in to read these parts who have agents and all that. And they're coming in, no one no-showed. I'm like, Huh? Interesting. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things where we we would we, I mean, we we had a, a bunch of losses. Um, things that didn't work out. You'll never know that when you watch it. You'll never know what our losses were. You only see our wins. But we had so many small wins. It just to a, to a bigger win, bigger win. it just things started to land. Um, locations fell through 24 hours before we're supposed to film. Um, it was just one of those crazy, um, journeys that, um, I'm so glad I had the opportunity to, to be a part of. And, and again, me and my two best friends did together. So it was just a way for us to bond even more. So it was pretty awesome.
0: I think that that story really like presses home the importance of like, like we were talking about going after and trying to do something that you love. And it's always interesting. You can tell that and quantify that in another person when they talk about the failures. And it's like, it just, it didn't even matter that those were happening. Be, and there were so many of them. Like you always look back and you're just like, yeah, we, we went through a lot, but like the thing that we were striving
1: for was so much more important than- All filmmaking oh. ever is, Is problem solving. That's, that's all it is. It's problem solving within the story. Would, would this Would this character really do this? Do you believe that? And then when you're actually filming it there's problems that pop up all the time when you have when you're working with the re lighting vendors what lighting do you need it's just there's just so many there's millions of little things that you have to take into account before you make a what we think is a simple decision but literally it's it tons of hours goes into making one small decision but it's so much bigger than just a small decision even though it, do you want a, a, a 5K light or do you want to rent a, a, a 2K? It's just, it's just that crazy when you think about it. Like, I don't know. What, like, so we had, a, again, all this problem solving. Um, do we want to get this angle with this lens and all this other stuff? And I'm like, hey, that's his job. Go figure it out. Literally, figure it out is like a staple in my vocabulary now because we're still trying to figure out the next step of what we're doing. So in transition in your life, you, Mr. Brock, you're still learning. You're trying to figure out your next steps and what you're going to do. You figured out that you wanted to create this content that you're doing now because you figured it out. When you didn't know how to do this, probably three years ago, you didn't even know you wanted to do this three years ago. That's pretty uh, pretty close to right. <laughs> I didn't know I wanted to do this. I didn't know I wanted to do this until um i was in a fighting hole in afghanistan when i when i hand wrote um a tv show another tv show um in a fighting hole i was handwriting it on a waterproof uh piece of paper in the rain because i was just bored we were doing movie trivia back and forth and i just started writing away i mean you don't know what you want to do until you figure it out so literally the the concept of the show came after the title i knew the title of the show before I the characters because I'm still trying to figure it out. And uh, I think if
0: there's one resounding lesson there, it's like, it's okay to be in that stage. What do you think has been your biggest lesson and takeaway throughout this Mm -hmm. whole
1: experience? Man, that's a great question. Um, I have to, man, this this is a great, great question. I have to always remind myself, I can't control everything. I am a control, I'm that kind of was the reason why when I got out of the military, I was like to try to correct people because I'm trying to control things. When I, all these past couple of years, I have taken a step back and trying to, trying to be not being that person. I cannot control everything. Things are going to happen if they're going to happen. Things will happen if you work hard enough to your goal, it'll happen organically. You just don't know when. So that's the hardest lesson I've ever had to learn was if it's meant to be it's going to happen when it's supposed to happen when i when when the when the show first launched on the website i was constantly logging into the website to see how many sales we were getting refresh 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 and of course they weren't flooding in as much as i wanted them to in the very like literally the first couple of hours cuz i'm like oh i must be terrible at this but when i stepped away from it and i would log back in boom sale 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 sale, sale just because I stopped looking. I'll I'll get emails um, with opportunities when I'm not paying attention to them. The opportunities do not come in when I keep hitting refresh. I cannot control everything. Um, Literally, I don't control anything, to be honest with you, Um, because the team is getting so so, uh, big and diverse and so strong and solid. I don't have to control everything anymore. I'm actually beyond that because my partner's, or now they're they're they've done their research on what they have to do to make people out. because the first sales we got were just from friends and family, right? Because that's within your social media network. <clears throat> now we're seeing sales come in people we don't know because we're we're in Europe, we're in forty four countries. We figured it out, but we're not trying to we're not trying to over control anything because we can't control what we can't control. So once I learned that, and I probably learned that with the last couple of weeks, to be honest with you. And now I feel I'm so much happier. Um, I was in a little bit of a depression for a little bit um, because I thought once this went live, it would just go viral because I, I, it was my baby. Um, it didn't, but it's doing well enough to where there's so much opportunity that's posting up for us. As long as I stop trying to check everything every 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 second so my biggest lesson is tim stop trying to control everything stop and i'm not it'll be if it's gonna it'll happen if it's gonna happen one of my all-time favorite quotes i'm not
0: even sure who it's from is uh impatience with action patient with results and it's uh, it's funny how things kind of like veer away and don't really mean as much when you just kind of focus on getting the work done.
1: I mean, luckily, um, th- the work that I do for my daily, um, it's so tedious um, every day because um, I work in the SEO space um, in digital marketing. so i'm I'm constantly um, auditing websites. That's my I, I, I film and I write music videos and I maybe get to do, I maybe get to do that maybe five, six times a year which is not very much. And most of the time I do it for fun because I love the art of media and doing this. Um, But my my work is so tedious. Um, When I get slammed, I get slammed. Like, because I get all these, I have 412 accounts that I work on their websites and stuff like that. But when I forget about the show, three hours later, I look at my phone. Hey, you have a message from so-and-so productions. Oh, shit. Because I wasn't paying attention, I wasn't looking at it. Um, but you have to, you have to surround yourself with good people who care about you. <clears throat> There's a, I, I watched a lot of reels on Instagram, and I watched this one guy who said, <clears throat> if people don't light up when they, if people you know don't light up when they see you, they're probably not the right people to be around. So I took that. So Brian Daniel, or my co, or my partner. When, when, when we first see each other, it can be the next day or a month later, whatever they're doing, they stop and they rotate towards, and that's how you know you have a girl. They stop whatever they're doing to go. It's very, very rare that your friends will actually stop what they're doing to give you a big hug when you walk over. <clears throat> My civilian friends don't do that. My veteran friends all the time. Tim, this
0: has been a very, very fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, thank you so in- much for having me. I appreciate it. hope I didn't ramble on too much. No, no, no. It's uh, it's incredibly inspiring to see somebody like pursuing their craft. And I think that that's, I said this before, but very aspirational. But Tim, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks for having me, bro. I appreciate it.